Cool. So um, today we decided it'd be really good to talk about the Bible, um, kind of where we've come from and where we are with the Bible and our experiences and our enjoyments and pains and questions and queries and um, basically everything Bible related to do with us personally. Um, so I guess I wanted to start this episode off by just really making it clear to you, you the listener, that um, Dave and I are not experts. Um, you know, I, I, I've spent three years at a Bible college. Um, I got a degree in theology and biblical studies, but that's that to me doesn't mean that I know tons. It, it just means that I understand how I can go about researching something if I want to. Um, it doesn't really mean that I know, you know, the Bible off by heart or I can quote every bit of scripture perfectly or I am a, an expert in cultural settings and, and all this sort of stuff. And I think very easily uh, within this day and age, we can claim to be experts and stuff and we're not actually experts. And I'm going to be spending decades of my life um, reflecting and thinking about and engaging with these sorts of topics because I want to help people like you to ask hard, tough, real questions about the things that you assume are true. Um, more often than not, without knowing they're true. So, um, yeah, please don't take us as experts. It's basically my um, my big caveat to start off here. Um, would you Would you agree, Dave? Oh, yeah, certainly. People dedicate their entire lives to studying the Bible, uh, both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. And so, yeah, uh, us two who, between us, have just read a lot of books, that doesn't really constitute expertise by any means. Absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, it's really important to to understand that. Something I was reflecting on is, you know, if you read, um, say, Genesis, for instance, and you, you know, you reflect on how um, basically God says to Cain, you know, your sacrifice isn't good enough. That's kind of essentially what, what's happening uh, with Cain and Abel. Um, you know, Abel's bringing me this sacrifice and it's pleasing to me, but your sacrifice isn't good enough. Uh, otherwise, you know, why the heck would Cain want to go and kill Abel um, in kind of frustration and vengeance? And, uh, you know, even that sort of section of scripture, looking at how God engages with these two people and the fallout from that and what it means when Cain has to then go wander the world um, alone outside of this kind of protection of God but he still put a mark on him so that he wouldn't be kind of messed with or started upon by anybody. And it's just a really fascinating part of scripture. Even that part of scripture, you can spend your entire life like delving into like, you know, deeper kind of strands and thoughts and ideas. And, um, and I'll just give you one more example of things that like, which just have caught me by surprise even today. Um, I was listening to a podcast uh, by Jordan B. Peterson. Uh, I know a lot of people have very negative views of him and a lot of people have very positive views of him. I'm not giving any view of him at all here. Um, but he was mentioning something which I found really interesting, talking about the crucifixion. Um, and he mentioned, you know, on the cross we see human, we see a human, sorry, humanity broken upon the world. And we also see a mother looking up at her son who is being broken upon the world. And it's such a powerful metaphor, whether or not it's literally true. I'm not even, we're not even going to go into that stuff now. I, I believe there was something called Jesus and I believe he literally died, but lots of people have different ideas about that. We can go into that stuff later, but for humanity, I'm raising children. Dave, you're raising children as well, mate. And we know that they're going to go into the world and there is nothing we can do much like Mary looking at Jesus to stop our children being broken when they go into this world. And I think that's such a really powerful metaphor for humanity. Like we, we are all Marys raising our children to go into this world and to be broken upon it. And hopefully, yeah, you know, come about and do different things and learn and grow and stuff. And I've never seen that before. Like I've never seen 
that as a metaphor in the text before and that, that's what I mean when I say I'm not an expert like there are so many strands and weaves and threads that um, hold meaning at levels that I have not even comprehended or have missed or scanned over or just not picked up because I've very much read the Bible um, as a you know young white male in England mainly in the 21st century like most of my life has been spent in this century so well, I mean, we, one of the reasons we wanted to talk about the Bible, wasn't it, how, is because it is the core foundation stone for the church, um, at least a modern church post-Reformation. The reason for the Reformation was people started reading the Bible rather than relying on church tradition um, and the realisation that some of the things the Bible said most certainly didn't marry up with what the church was. It's similar to what we talked spoke about on the very first episode, um, how if you take the Bible and mirror it to church, I think most people would agree you'd struggle to have a good reflection. Um, and so I find the Bible intriguing because of what it represents and how it's used um, within church to justify all sorts of things, how you can have um, so many different interpretations of the same text, or you can have so many interpretations of the, the book as a whole. You can have... Um, people who will uh, take on poverty because of what the Bible says. And you have people reading the same text, ab abusing people to get wealthy. Um, mm. And there's something about that that's quite profound, how that can be the case, how you can get everyone from Krifla Dollar and um, that ilk of prosperity preaching all the way through to um, classic Franciscan poverty mindset um that you should lay everything like you literally give everything away and live in poverty um but they share the same text they read the same text i'm sure the translations are mildly different but they're nothing major and um, you take most translations the difference is negligible in the main message um so it's i find that profound and i i find it really interesting how um it is you just said that how you can spend so long reading it to understand it and all the context um and yet we tell people who like are new christians just to read it and they'll understand it <laughs> that kind of blows my mind as well um yeah. it's like because again think of it if you like someone's never read the bible before and you say oh you've you've just become a christian here read the bible um the first two pages they're going to get like magic trees and talking snakes <laughs> like that is the first couple of pages. Um, yeah, that's true. And like, how weird! Like, read Genesis. Because loads, most people who read Genesis, because most Christians, um, ultimately, the majority of Christians are either Christians from birth or Christians who have come back to faith, or at least have some inkling or understanding of Christianity in some respect. It's very rare for you to get a truly non-Christian Christian. Um, by that I mean someone who has literally no background whatsoever in Christianity. And so most people aren't, like don't look at Genesis in the, for example, um, with like a clean slate and realize how odd it is. Yeah, you've got a snake that talks. And that's the whole point. There's, it's what you were saying, Sam, there's so much more to that than a snake. It isn't a snake, um, obviously. But um, it still says it is. <laughs> like... <laughs> um, there's a whole study about it refers to angelic beings and the wording 
uh, refers to like throne guardians and mythology of the era of the time that would be like winged snakes um, like you look at your classic Egyptian and Babylonian murals and artwork um, so it's all there and it's it's fairly easy to look online about but it's still pretty crazy to yeah oh you had to read this bible and you've got this creation story and then you've got a magic tree and a talking snake and then you've got Cain and Abel and then you've got the Tower of Babel and then you've got angels having sex with women and then you've got God being angry and killing everyone with a flood and then you've got the person who he uh, like took through the flood like planting a vineyard getting pissed and having sex with the sons that last bit's debatable but like um, if you could read, be about that yeah. well you read into that like the whole shame of Shem was it Shem? yeah um, like the the thinking is that there's much more to that than simply he by he saw his father's nakedness he means a lot more than he just saw his father's penis um so like that's the first like five well like 10 10 15 chapters of the book <laughs> it's just like what's going on so anyway the point is um i find it intriguing that we have this text that forms the core value of church and religion and yet we we seem to gloss over the fact it's completely mad, um, like especially the first first like Genesis is absolutely crazy if you read it properly. Like take a step back and read it, and I just I find it really interesting, um, and I find it interesting that people don't seem to find it interesting as well. Like when people say the Bible the Bible was boring, it's like have you read it? It's definitely an interesting one. I think a bit a big part of it for me is how useful it can be at relaying certain key messages like it doesn't necessarily uh, so something that brett weinstein has said quite a few times on different podcasts and on different talks which i find really interesting is that it is metaphorically true but literally false so there are motifs metaphors narratives things within it which are helpful so the key phrases ideas thoughts concepts which are in, in and of themselves true um but that doesn't mean that the actual story behind it is literally true. Um, and I think that's really helpful as like an entire, like looking at the whole of the Bible. So you know, the New Testament and the Old Testament, you can, you can see it in that lens. You know, do you, do you believe that someone is going to be killed tomorrow of COVID-19 or whatever's going on at the time? The Spanish flu in 1918, you probably weren't going into different hostile wards, praying for people seeing them healed because most, most people don't think that supernatural things occur like that. Um, we expect them to just happen rather than to us to be active participants within them. And I think it's stuff like that. There are key events in the Bible that aren't literally true, but the ideas behind those things can be metaphorically true um, and helpful and good. And it, it's almost like I know loads of people have talked about this um, before um you know it's like douglas murray uh, brett weinstein john b peterson people like this would, would would argue and say that there are stories held within scripture which are important because they have stood the test of time like i've spoken before about how the christian belief is a meme it is adaptive and it is able to move through the times and change and adapt to be able to be usable and shapeable by the people of the day that so it's for us today and then you know your children's children will be able to take it and use it and apply it to their lives in another way in their time and place. And then 20 generations down, we'll be able to do the same thing. Why? Because it's an adaptive metaphor that now, uh, sorry, an adaptive metaphor that enables us to be able to um, live a life that makes sense in the confusing reality of the world that we're in. 
essentially. And I think that's, that's a really interesting concept and idea. Now, whether or not you want to take that as true or not, you know, you could say, no, the Bible is literally true and metaphorically true. That's fine. I'm not trying to debate you with that stuff. I'm just saying it, it's interesting how the Bible has survived. And most people today would argue that we don't believe supernatural events take place. Um, I, th- I think that's really interesting. So, yeah, you know, and a lot of people argue the first 15 to 20 chapters of Genesis are all just kind of prehistory. They're just kind of stories or ideas that were told around um, as we began to kind of set up agricultural um, or at least herding communities in, you know, the Middle East. Um, so those sort of stories were the ones that their grandfather's grandfather's told and they've kind of been adapted, changed, whittled down into the stories that we, we get in our in our Old Testament. If you look at other kind of like the Babylonians or um, or whatever, even the Persians and stuff, they have narratives that are similar in ilk to what we read about in the Bible. Like most ancient civilizations have a great flood. Like most ancient civilizations from the area that, that Israel was raised up have ancient flood narratives because clearly at some point something happened, which meant that everybody created their own story around this idea of this basically black water that just swept across the land, killing everything in this path. Like enough people survived to be able to hold on to those stories, to share them, to talk about them, and then for those things to filter down. So we we get the flood narrative. Um, you know, Noah fits into our Bible there, but to another, like the Babylonians, it's a completely different story. Um, but it still holds similar undertones and key messages. And, and those undertones and key messages are things that we can still apply to us today. Like, you know, don't piss God off because otherwise he might get you. It's a pretty good way to make sure people listen to you and know what you're saying. Um, I know we might not necessarily interpret that today and God promises not to flood the world now and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, there are messages which are useful to different generations depending on where they are in their, in our kind of so- social evolution. Um, the, the Bible is, is genuinely a fascinating book, whether you're you know, a Christian or an agnostic or an atheist or whatever you label yourself as. It, it can be a fascinating book because it holds um, these ancient stories which have stood the test of time. And, and our concepts, even concepts like atheism, really, um, yes, there have been atheists throughout the ages, but you, know, you could argue more for agnostics and then you could say, you know, doubt has been common for hundreds of thousands of years I mean, absolutely I, I, you, could, you could argue for that like doesn't seem to be a time in recorded history and doubt hasn't been around so why wouldn't it have been around since he, he since humanity started um but these stories have set the test of time far more than our current you know social climate or um socio-political ideals have set the test of time like you look at things like i don't know pronouns or you look at stuff like um women's rights or, or these sorts of things none of these aren't good viable things to be talking about but you know, their current modern conversations where scripture holds ancient tensions which are are fascinating. one of the things I found fascinating about the Bible is the fact that this the writings and recordings from a small little backwater that's smaller in Wales um, the country of Wales that is um, has maintained and spread and had far reaching influence that's more than any empire in history Um, I find that intriguing like that's just incredible that those stories as you're saying that have existed and persisted and survived 
the rise and fall of worldwide or equivalent worldwide kingdoms, Persian Empire, Babylonians, Sumerians, Akkadians, the Romans, etc., etc. Um, they are they have survived it and they have succeeded them and they have been arguably more successful than Christians. Well, there's one point something billion Christians in the world um, who still follow the same writing stories and accounts the three and a half thousand years old at least um well written three and a half thousand years old but yeah you're right the stories from before then um, like seven day creationists and all that stuff it just again quite intriguing how you can be so persistent and attached to a narrative to the point where you will disregard what everyone else says is true <laughs> for the sake of them. Um, I find that very interesting. I find it interesting that the Bible was seen as, we already said, boring. It isn't. It's seen as being for kids. When Christine Hayes, who's uh, the Old Testament lecturer at Yale, would, uh, says in her lecture series that the Bible is most definitely not for kids. It's absolutely horrendous. I, she says kids, kids shouldn't even read it, and I agree with her. If you actually, let, if you actually think about what, a child would be reading if they read the bible then it would blow your mind it's just full of death and murder and rape and all sorts especially the old testament and uh it's got i mean I, my literally my favorite bible verse if anybody ever asked me what it is is uh, ezekiel twenty three twenty, which is this so i'll just read it for us uh, and and she lusted after her lovers there whose members were like that of donkeys and whose issue as in emissions was like that of horses now that's, that's a verse from the Bible. That's a memory verse to put on a fridge, isn't it? It's beautiful, um, it's beautiful. Yeah, that's certainly not for kids. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like, we have this idea of, like, oh, let's, um, yeah, let's get your children to read the Bible. It's like, mm, should you? <laughs> because it's pretty flipping brutal. It's like, it's like Game of Thrones minus the dragons. That's what the Bible was like. Um, so I, I just find that, yeah, funny that you can get. Um, well, that's what I mean. So you have people who will not let their children watch uh, things because they're potentially a bit violent or a bit uh, sexual or whatnot, which is fair and right. But then they will encourage their children to read the Bible. This is the this is the really strange thing. Like you pick up a children's Bible, you know, you'll start with, you know, the creation story and man's fall, kind of God casting man aside, and a bit about Abraham. You'll then do a bit about Moses. You'll then probably jump into, more likely than not, David and Goliath. And you'll you'll then skip over, basically, Israel's conquest of Judah, basically, or Canaan. Um, and I think it's, it's really interesting that we don't talk about, you know, the Israelites killing the Canaanites. And I know very full, I know full well there are arguments around why. I, you know, they say they wipe them out and then two chapters later they're back again because it's just bragging or whatever. But it's really interesting whether they're talking about ripping pregnant women open, killing children, not letting anything live unless it's a female within a certain age group so you can marry them and have children with them and all this sort of stuff. And we just, that's obviously never going to be in a, in, a, in, a, in a children's Bible. I'd be mad. But it's just this interesting concept that we we love the bits that are meaningful and special and fun and enjoyable and the stuff that is abhorrent and evil and there is no reason why it should be there or should be justified by a, a god figure. Um, we just skim over and go, yeah, we can deal with that when they're a bit older. You know, we can cover that. They'll, they'll probably never even get to that. They'll probably never even read the damn thing fully themselves. Let's just stick with the picture version. Um, I think that's the big thing for me is when I started reading it and reading it intently, 
I began to realize that there are things I never realized were in my Bible because no one will ever preach on those sort of sections. Like the, you know, the, the, the verse you just pulled out there, Dave, like no one's going to go up and church. You're right, today we're reading from, and then starts talking about, you know, whatever, some awful thing that, you know, would be wrong to be on before 9 p.m. on a weekday um, because the children might be around. So it's just this really interesting concept where, you know, and then at the same time, Sunday morning, we're probably still quite happy to talk about, you know, people killing each other over stuff or sort of stop talk about kind of Cain and Abel or talk about whatever it is, the different passages, Jesus's death in horrific, gory detail at a youth event with children aged from 11 to 16, um, pulling out, you know, nine inch nails, not the band, um, and showing, you know, this is what would be smashed through Jesus's wrist and feet to attach him to a cross. This is the sort of crown of thorns that like, they bring out, you know, actual things to show children what it would have been like for this figure to have gone through this horrific basically torture and death right um this is what the cat and nine tails whip looked like this was the the uh bone and the metal that would have been placed within the leather straps to rip the flesh as it was hit so his, his lungs would have been exposed in certain places and you know we we would go into this sort of detail because i think we want to make sure they know what god has gone through to sanctify them to now be able to enter his presence but if we stop and go but that is actually literally not true. Like God isn't a literal thing as far as we can tell. There's not enough evidence to convince me that God is there. Um, then you've got this abhorrent story that you're telling to children to try and make them believe something that you're basically coercing them and can, trying to contort a message into something that is palatable for them enough to be able to make a decision based on what you think they should or should not be saying within a church service. And it just feels really strange um before we jump down this rabbit hole of children in the bible which i'm very happy to keep going along um i would also very much love to hear kind of your kind of um interpretation and introduction to the bible david away you know you're from a different sort of background to me where i was born and raised in it right from the get-go and it'd be really interesting to hear your story with the bible and kind of you know just just taking us on those key moments of when you began to seriously read it when you wanted to study it i know you've done bible studies with different people at different times um we've done one together a couple of times um and then you know also kind of going to where you are now with the bible and what your thoughts are and if you're still reading and how you engage with it so if you if you wouldn't mind just for five ten minutes just giving us your kind of your history of the bible that would be really interesting for for me and i'm sure for our listeners yeah the history of the bible by david um, <laughs> it's, sounds it's, like a very like a very cheap book in a bookshop yeah. <laughs> it's 12 pages long um it's uh <laughs> Um, I was, so my upbringing, my mum was a Christian and took me to church. So the Bible has always been very present in my life um, and has always been true. Like I never questioned its truth because I never had any need to question its truth. Um, if that makes sense. Like I didn't even yeah. think about it. It was just, oh yeah, of course it's true. Um, and then, but it had no... I had no real relevance. I used to find it really interesting that people didn't really read the Bible. I used to quite enjoy being in Sunday school and asking difficult questions or refer to passages like I just read. Um, I used to really enjoy the stories of David chopping off 200 Philistines' foreskins, and uh, I just found that stuff hilarious. Um, I used to try and find Bible passages and the gruesomeness of it. I used to find great because I was a little boy, and boys love violence. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And... Yeah, which is weird and kind of shunned nowadays, but boys love playing swords and guns and killing. That's just the way. Anyway. Um, yeah, it's true. It is true. And I think it's funny. Anyway, so I obviously 
had nothing to do with church from the ages of what 12 through to 19 um and but i always had understood the bible in like quite easily i never understood why people found it so complicated like it was fairly straightforward for me um but then again, I've always been quite academic and I always study, I studied humanities, so I did history, politics and law at college um, and did politics at university. So like reading and essay writing and arguments and all that sort of stuff came very easily to me. So I suppose that's why the Bible made sense, though it didn't make sense. Um, and so when I um, became a Christian when I was 19, I had a good grasp of the Bible, like this concepts, key concept, what it meant when it was written. Um, but it was all based on what I'd been told uh, growing up. Um, and so it wasn't until, um, well, throughout, so from 19 through to, I don't know, four or five years ago, um, whenever, I, whenever I used to read the Bible, I used to get annoyed at church because it was nothing like the Bible. And then I'd get fed up and disenfranchised and stop reading the Bible and then be comfortable sitting in church. And then that cycle would repeat on sort of, I don't know, bi-yearly frequency. Um, and then I stopped reading the Bible altogether from, oh, I don't know, for years. Um, and when I started on my current job, which is a Christian workplace, I remember being um, confronted by one of my colleagues um, because I, I said to him, I don't read the Bible. Um, and he went, like, he invited me out for lunch and unbeknownst to me, he was prepping, uh, prepping my downfall um, and, like, laid into me about how, that was ridiculous and shocking and wow. you needed to live off the bread of like uh, the word of the Lord, which was you know, your food of the day. Um, and it's actually really funny looking back on it. I wasn't the least bit offended. I get, don't get offended at all. Um, and it was actually quite inspirational. I was like, ah, it's actually it's a good shout because how can you claim to be a Christian and not read the Bible? Which is another question, Sam, we need to talk about is that if people believe, <laughs> well, the thing is, it, I mean, people would say the Bible is the word of God. Okay. So if you genuinely believe it's the actual word of the living God, <laughs> why don't you read it more? This is it. I mean, I'm pretty well talking about you and your experience. I, yeah, we, we need to cover this in the podcast because uh, I, most of the Christians I know, like, Honestly, 85 to 90% of the Christians I know do not read the Bible regularly. Yeah. I Most agree. of them, probably about 60%, have never read the whole Bible. Yeah. And, you know, I'm talking about, you know, from my experience um, of people that I know, and I've obviously known a lot of people quite intimately with their relationship with God and where they are with reading the Bible and prayer and fasting and all that sort of stuff from kind of church leadership and being that sort of figure. But yeah, it's, it's absolutely mad. So yeah, we need to do a topic. But anyway, well, carry on, mate. It's really just on that one, like, when I ran a small group, um, like I tried to get us all to read through the Bible together in a year and just people couldn't do it. It literally takes like 15 minutes a day. That's all it is. Yeah. Like to read the Bible in a year, it takes you 15 minutes a day. That is it. And people failed after the first couple of weeks. Like yeah. it, I just didn't, I know it's, it's discipline, but 15 minutes, if you believe it's the word of God, the actual written word of God, and you can't discipline yourself to spend 15 minutes a day reading it then you obviously do not believe it's the word of god <laughs> because it's just like that's utterly ridiculous isn't it like you can spend 
literally hours a day on Instagram or Facebook or on your TV, yet you have this book that you claim is a word of God and also forms like the basis of your life, yet you don't read it. Weird. So weird. It makes no sense. And nobody seems to have an issue with it. Like, it just, yeah, it makes sense. Anyway, so this guy challenged me on that quite rightly. Like, if you're a Christian and you're not reading your Bible, what the hell are you doing? And I was, I was like, yeah, it's true. I completely agree with him. Um, and his completely affrontive nature didn't rile me, actually quite inspired me. Um, anyway, so, so I started, I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to read the Bible, I want to know who wrote it. I want to know why I need to read it. I want to know why it matters. Like, who, is, who wrote this book? Who wrote this book? What does it say? What does it actually say? And what annoyed this guy even more is that I didn't go and listen to uh, reformist preachers. I went and listened to people like Christine Hayes from Yale um, about the Hebrew Bible. <laughs> and I started looking into who wrote the book. And I blew his mind when I said that uh, um, Ecclesiastes probably wasn't written by Solomon. Um, <laughs> like, he flipped his lid. It was incredible. Um, but that's the thing is, because, like, there's these agreed... Like people say, oh, Moses wrote Exodus, et cetera, et cetera. And Genesis, well, no, he didn't. Like he obviously didn't write Exodus because it tells you about his death at the end. So he couldn't have written it. <laughs> like, yeah. He obviously didn't write all of it. He might write some of it. Um, but yeah, there's these like people say, oh, this is this and this. It's like, well, actually, that's not true. Um, so anyway, so I started reading the Bible more. I got really into the reading of the Bible. I, I still, I like the Bible. I find it really interesting. Um, but I found what I found more interesting was the history about it, the history around it. I found the contextual side of it really interesting. I found mm. how we can read something and then actually if you take a step back and realize a um, bit more about it, it, it's very different, like the message that's being put forward. Um, I, I find all of that stuff intriguing. Um, and so that was, but the only other thing is what happened was that the more you read into that, the more you realize that we don't really know who wrote it. Um, really, we have an idea, but we don't actually know who wrote Genesis and Exodus. We don't know, like Deuteronomy was probably collated post-exilic period, or at least exilic period, so when the Israelites were exiled in Babylon. So it's written hundreds of years after it was meant to be, if that makes sense. Um, you've got the book of Daniel, which covers kings of Babylon. In it. Daniel couldn't have been alive for as long as the king's mentioned in the books were around for is it's like over a hundred years worth of time so it couldn't have been a single character who was alive for that long um you start realizing that uh, two peter wasn't written by peter um and you realize you well most people know this already but obviously hebrews isn't written by paul but lots of paul's late epistles weren't necessarily written by paul um and then you so it's all this stuff um which you you then start going oh okay so why do we adhere to this so much why do we claim it so important if we don't even know who wrote it um and the reason we adhere to it's being so important is because we're told to i just found that really interesting and i have found that interesting so i'm I'm intrigued by the the who the why the what and the when of the bible um and the purpose of it and why why it was written for certain things um and so it's the things like um sorry i'm going on a little bit but i find it really interesting how the gospel of mark focuses completely on the unknown people if you take a step back and remark through the people who get the kingdom of god are the people who are unnamed it's the unnamed women it's the unnamed characters it's the unnamed man on the cross those are the people who get the bible because i get the gospel um and the named characters in the gospel don't get it and so the whole like 
narrative of Mark is explaining how the kingdom of God is for the least, the unnamed, the unknown. It's the small. It's like the mustard seed analogy. It's the, the insignificant. And I love that stuff. The fact that like the subversive nature of the fact that lots of the books are very anti-establishment. So it's good, mate. It's um, it's really interesting. I think. How do you say you you deal with it all now? Like, what what is your what's your thoughts to if I say to you now, you and me are going to read the Bible through in a year, and we're going to start on the you know whatever the first of May or whatever twenty twenty when we're recording this at the beginning of April twenty twenty. What, what would you? How would you respond? What would your thoughts be? Would you be able to do it? Obviously, you would, but would you be able to do it morally? Like, how 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 do you think about this stuff now? Um, I don't know. Um, I don't think it's much different to before because I didn't ha- like. I haven't held scripture in to the level that lots of people do. Um, not in a dismissive nature, but um, like the inerrancy mindset. I've never had that. Um, so I, I would have. I think I'd quite enjoy reading through it again. I think when when you start having doubts about things, then it opens up your eyes in a different way because you don't just gloss over things like um, in the part of Exodus that allows you to go and if you if you go and invade a country and there's a woman there you like, then you can just take her. That's, that's one of the laws, and you're like, oh, that's a bit <laughs> weird. Um, I think it's I think it's Exodus twelve something. I, I don't know for sure. It's not it's not a memory verse, unlike Ezekiel twenty three twenty. Um, but and so when you're starting doubting things, suddenly you don't gloss over those things. Like when you like if you ever have written an essay and you proofread it yourself, you miss loads of stuff. You have to get someone else to read it for you to get good proofreading. Um, and I think it's similar. Like you can so easily gloss over stuff because if you have the mindset that it is the word of God, you sort of forgive it for things that you wouldn't necessarily agree with. And then when you doubt it a bit, you suddenly go, oh, do I think that's okay? So, I mean, yeah, if we read through it, I'd find it really interesting because I think I'd have a slightly different perspective now. Um, I would have a more um, critical mindset. And also, just linking back to the, what we said before, like, if this is the word of God, is that okay? Um, is it okay for the word of God to say it's okay to kidnap women if you invade their country and take them as your wife? Um, and if it isn't okay, then how do you explain that? Like, are we okay with that in the church? Are we okay that God said that? Was it God who said that? Or was it humans who said God said that? And therefore, if it was humans that said God said that, then what other things do they say God said that he didn't say? Yeah, it's helpful. I know a lot of people have tried to do it once they've deconverted um, and they wanted to journal or kind of critique as they go or kind of share their reflections. And, you know, it usually lasts till April. They're doing it in a year. They start in January. Um, you know, it, it lasts the first um, quarter of the year, basically. And then it becomes very hard to continue um, because of how much you want to talk or share or discuss or whatever. So I think that's an interesting element to it, really. Um, so, well, yeah. On that, I mean, what I found interesting is that the more, the, the more I've dealt with the Bible, the less I've believed it. Um, you know, I was saying about why don't people read the Bible? I mean, potentially, and this, I'm completely speaking out of term, maybe, but maybe that people don't want to read it because mm. it's too much challenge. There's too much well, on, on two levels. There's too much challenge if you read the if you read the New Testament properly. There's too much challenge about your life because 
there's literally no way you can read the New Testament and then and then be happy with your life saying you live for God. It's impossible. I challenge anyone to read the New Testament properly and thoroughly and say it's absolutely fine living in your middle class life with loads of money because it's, it's like the New Testament quashes that repeatedly. Uh, Jesus talks about repetitively, give your money away, serve the poor, sacrifice yourself, live for others, die. That's, what, that's the message whole way through the New Testament. And so if you thoroughly, properly read that every day, it's impossible to live the life that most Christians in this country live. So that's the first thing. The second thing is challenging. If you read the Old Testament thoroughly, I think it challenges every notion you have about God because the God that is portrayed and preached about in the modern church is a God who loves everyone and everyone is welcome, which has truth. But if you read the Old Testament, God kills a lot of people and God does certainly not love everyone and God hates peoples and wipes them out. And so it challenges your notion of God's character. And I think so I think that one of the reasons people don't read the Bible is because both testaments, if you actually read them, then they challenge everything about your faith. Um, and so I think I found since reading it properly in quotes is that I believe it less than when I didn't read it. So what I find really interesting about what you just said is this idea that a God who loves wouldn't wipe out people and not love them and treat them differently to, you know, the kind of the way we view him in a church today, which would be loving everyone. Everyone is called into God's kingdom, right? He died for the world. It's this idea of kind of a universal sacrifice that claims everybody's life and is a ransom for everybody to be able to come under the umbrella of God's protection, I guess. And but you're absolutely right. The Old Testament says the exact opposite. And I kind of wonder whether we have created or molded God into a position which he never wanted to take. Essentially, what I'm trying to say is we have made God into this loving God that wants everyone to come under the umbrella of salvation. And the offering is extended to everybody. But then we put in place these little kind of trip wires which you have to get through or these this kind of like maze you have to navigate through to be able to actually reach salvation so you know i would say that i i have not come across the evidence which proves to me that god is literally true so i am then speaking to friends who say well i have had a revelation of god paul has had a revelation of god you know the disciples had a revelation of god you know so and so polycarp had a revelation of god but these people who've had revelations of god and Muhammad. that i don't so <laughs> say again Smith. As if Muhammad yeah. and Joseph Smith. Yeah, you know, these 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 key important people that are absolutely right. Um, no, like basically, like these people that have had revelations of God who then turn around to me and say, you know, oh well, well, that's what you need. And then it kind of boils down to that almost Calvinistic idea, like, you know, God is going to save, who is going to save? It is already predestined, it's already written out. And I'm not saying that's that's necessarily true, but they just it becomes the water becomes so muddy and so confusing. At one of the end of the spectrum, you've got a it is clear as day, and everybody is called to either accept or deny Christ's offer to them. And I'm saying, whoa, 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 there's a middle ground where I had accepted it, don't know if it's true, so I'm no longer a believer. But I'm not saying if it's there, I don't want it. All I'm saying is 
I do not think there is enough evidence for me to go, yes, God is real. It is the Christian God. And these are the principles by which I live my life. Now, take an element of that, say the resurrection or whatever. If I can get to a point where I'm like you know, 65% sure the, resu- the literal resurrection of Christ is true, I can then begin to pin my life on that. But then you need something as substantial as the resurrection or as substantial as, I don't know, you know, God literally coming back now and kind of us seeing him for a while to actually be able to create something that I would view as robust enough to be able to let me kind of hang my hat upon it and actually get a, 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 a revelation of God. So this is what you, this is kind of what you were linking to when you were saying like the, the old Testament God is completely different. He is a all powerful B he's there. He's in pillars of fire. He's in clouds of smoke. He's turning people into salt. He's putting people inside the bellies of fish. He's devastating uh, cities or towns with brim uh, uh, fire and brimstone. He's, you know, he's he's doing massive, mighty deeds and works. And as we peter into the New Testament, these things kind of change in their kind of capacity rather than entire towns being destroyed or nations being wiped out. It's people being healed or people being damned or this person falling down dead because they've, you know, they've lied about the money they were going to give to, to the early church or whatever it is. And then it, it peters down again into kind of like apocalyptic revelations. And then it kind of peters into the early church where there's whisperings and tamperings and then it carries on into today where we don't see these supernatural events. We don't see God moving in the same way. We don't see these things happening. So where, where do you hang your hat? And, and this is, this is, this is what's really hard is how do you then apply that to your life today? And you can't, there's no easy way to say, so say, say someone convinced me the resurrection is true. That means that Jesus literally died and rose again for my sins. Okay. But just because I believe the revelation that Jesus died and rose for me, does is that literally my sins? Is it the sin of the world? That's another bit to, to untangle and to work through. And then it's how do I apply that to my life today? Well, that's another bit to untangle. And other gospels actually, you know, the the definitive word of God written by his own hand given to us through people? Or is it a best attempt by people who knew Jesus and were around at the time? Another thing to untangle, there's so many kind of tripwires and things to try and get around and navigate. You, you never get to a position where you're you're able to comfortably sit in a chair that says Christian. Does that make sense? Like you, you can sit in a chair that says Christian if you're unwilling to read sceptically and ask sceptically and then to get answers and then to push deeper into those answers, you, you will just get more questions. That's that's the, the scary thing about it. So kind of, yeah, but that was just bouncing off your your kind of thoughts and ideas that the Old Testament and New Testament gods are very different. And it, it means it's impossible for us to know how we should answer and navigate the different questions and things we come across as we make decisions, whether that be to accept or to go, I don't believe that there is enough evidence to prove that God's real. and feelings about the bible are that it is for me personally something that i look at on my shelf and i've got four or five different physical bibles and um probably about 20 or 30 digital bibles that i use with my got software called logos which is a bible software which uh, links uh, the bible with uh, writers throughout time um, to a digital library so i've got about 2,000 digital books which uh, form a library which i can you know which is literally cross-referenced by logos 
across itself so I can look up a keyword or a, a context or um, some sort of idea or a place or whatever and it will draw all the information together for me. So it's a fantastically powerful bit of software. Um, so again, that's really useful for those out there who want to study. Um, I, so I, I look at my physical Bibles and I, <clears throat> I reflect on a day and a time when I was able to pick them down from the shelf and fondly read through a book of the Bible and just be encouraged by the words upon the page and the messages that my God and Saviour was trying to share with me in that time and place. Now, I am not in a position to do that anymore. I don't believe that there is enough evidence to prove that God exists. Um, I'm not convinced that God exists um, currently. And I... I'm asking questions around that consistently. So I, I watch tons of YouTube videos and I listen to people and talk about this stuff, but I've stepped back from the Bible because I, I read it um, religiously for you know a good decade, every year, reading it every day, reading um, the New Testament through probably four or five times a year. Uh, on the train, I would read through a literally just a chapter of the New Testament and then pray for 20 minutes afterwards and just meditate on what it had said. Um, and I was engaging with it on a personal level to be filled with God's word, believing that, you know, the all living God wanted to communicate with me in a timeless way through his word, because it's still relevant today as it was to the people that it was written to. That's what I believed. Um, and now I go for my walks where I would have been listening to the Bible in a year, or I would have been listening to a podcast on a certain passage, part of scripture or passage. And I would, um, you listen to something else now. It could be a debate on the resurrection, which it was this morning, which is why I've mentioned the resurrection loads in this podcast, or it could be you know, something else. And I will be saddened because I no longer have something that was a key part of my life um, because I could pick up the Bible from the shelf or I could do the Bible in the year again. But I know that it will not hold ever again the same weight that it once did. Um, it won't captivate me in the way it did. It won't stimulate me to encourage people in their walk with God in the way it once did. It won't answer the questions that I have because I believe the questions I have do not have answers that are sufficiently good enough to give me what I need to move on to the searching for the next lot of answers to the next lot of questions. I I miss it. I miss the Bible, if I'm being completely honest with you. I miss the... I mean, my... my this is getting quite sad now. My... Um, mantra or calling i guess i've mentioned it before is you know to teach god's people his words like i genuinely believe that my ministry was going to be to share the word of god with people in a way that encouraged them and engaged them to spend time with their living savior because you know i'm in a i'm in a working class town at the moment <clears throat> the church i was looking after with a couple of other leaders and you know probably six percent of people at that church read their bible regularly maybe less like most people and most people had never read the whole thing through they were christians because of what they heard on a sunday and what their parents or friends had reminded them about maybe a podcast here and there or a, a bethel album or something like that but they, they they didn't have anything other than that to to back their faith up and as we mentioned right right off the offset like the, if the bible is the word of god it should be the thing the very thing you seek and search and cling to because it should be the thing that feeds and nourishes you as an individual and um, I thought it was that for me for years and then realized that you know my faith as I've mentioned before has um, like a candle going out the, the the wick got lower and lower and the wax went and it dwindled and faded and um, you know, there's just a bit of smoke and then it's gone 
and I will never stop searching for the answers to the questions I have because I'm very tenacious. Um, I, I know, Dave, we've spoken a few times and you've said um, you know, you're just tired of it. You're tired of um, the apologetics arguments or the questions when you can look at the world and there's so many other amazing things out there that grab your attention, like how a solar flare works or um, how old the planet is or how, you know, how we raise children in the 21st century to live ethically. Like these things are massive, amazing, incredible conversations. And um, I still, you know, what blows my mind still is uh, how radio waves work, how we're able to, or even the internet, how we're able to actually distill something down into a wave and send it and then it can be re put together at the other end is fascinating. Um, that blows my mind every single day. Um, and, you know, these things are incredible, um, but I'm still going to have a percent of my time which is going to be dedicated to, you know, pushing, answering, asking, thinking, reflecting, because I want to come back to a place where um, I once was, where I believe the Bible is true, but I don't think I ever will. Um, and this is why we've, we're doing this when, when belief dies. We want to ask those hard, tough questions. We want to engage with people like you, listener. Like, is any of this reflecting with you? Are you sat here thinking these guys are so lost? Like, I wish I could talk to them and help them. Like, send us a message, like, email us. There's a contact forum um, on the blog. We can get in touch or social media or whatever. Like, there's so many ways to, to reach out. But um, we, we, we want to engage with people who know what they think and why they think it. Like, I don't want to hear people just come to me with questions about, you know, well, how did the universe start? Or like some people on YouTube do this. I'll say to myself, like, I'm sick of Christians sending out videos that just give hope during, like, for instance, the COVID-19. Like, I want to know, you know, why you have hope or believe something to be literally true. And I'll just go, well, how did the universe start? I'm like, you don't know how the universe start, starts. And I don't know how the universe starts. It doesn't mean that God's real. Like, it's just such a weird, a weird byproducts to kind of peddle at people when they're asking deep questions and i think i want people to come to me who know what they believe and why they believe it and can tell me very clearly i believe the resurrection is real because x y and z and i believe the bible is telling the correct stories of the resurrection and it's holding a true framework and way of saying things because of x y and z always the best ones because you know structure who the fuck wants structure